0: Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate AudioCast Newsletter. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 8. Corresponds to the week of February 6, 2023, and this week we're going to look at ADHD and attachment, the mineral sodium, and then some data on magnesium and diabetes. Song of the week is Russia on Ice by The Porcupine Tree. Free Thoughts. Challenging yourself to achieve goals never before achieved is always a pathway to expansion of the self. Okay, the corresponding podcast this week is number 39 with Dr. Paul Offit. We go into new details about his work looking at what kind of issues related to COVID, vaccines and children's health have come up since the last time we talked. Do we need vaccines? Who needs them? What's the story regarding children's disease in general? All right, issue number eight. What is it about attention deficit and hyperactivity that we see a disease needing a drug to mitigate the problem versus first looking at the other possible root causes? Some children, do have a genetic or epigenetic condition that is not based on the following discussion, but that being said, I want to look at this from a different perspective. I asked Dr. Sandy Newmark this question. Here is his response. Quote, I read Scattered Minds a long time ago and thought it was a fantastic book. I agree with much of what he and you say, I do think he has a more narrow approach to etiology than I would support. I have many kids with clear ADHD who come from loving homes with two parents and little trauma history. There are genetic, epigenetic, environmental factors that are also important in etiology, and I would not want those to be overlooked. End quote. Well said, Dr. Newmark. Okay, let's look at Gabor Maté's book, Scattered Minds. This is something that I have been looking at often lately and find it to be a very fascinating perspective on ADHD in general. What's his viewpoint? He states, quote, if hyperactivity expresses anxiety, lethargy and under arousal expresses shame, shame like anxiety is an attachment emotion. The origin, origin of shame is the feeling of having been cut off from the parent or having lost the connection, if only momentarily. The toddler's hyperactive explorations are curtailed a few months after they began. A necessary outcome of exploring is the identification of limits of boundaries. quote. Gabor Mate, Scattered Minds, page 132. These are keys to normal emotional success in society. If a child does not learn boundaries as a toddler and over-expresses themselves verbally or differentially, physically, expresses himself or herself in a peer group later on in school, they will often meet emotional reactions that are highly negative, i.e. Paying attention to and knowing or learning another person's personal space and social cues is a boundary to be followed or set for relationships to thrive. This is part and parcel to the struggles of children on the autism spectrum and some children with ADHD. If attachment is a key part of developing the emotional self, how are parents to foster this truth? The key, according to therapist Dewey Freeman and author Gabor Maté, is the reestablishment of warm contact rapidly, no matter the problem at hand. To isolate the child for a prolonged time is akin to being emotionally lost and foster of shame. Shame then leads to net negative self-image, which is a slippery slope to all forms of mental health struggle. Shame is initiated and magnified when the parent's disapproval is overly strong or when there is no support or uneven support of personhood, as opposed to the disapproval of behavior. In pretty much any and all interactions. Thus, it is inherently important for parents to remain grounded in their emotional state to keep the child's world safe and consistent. A stressed out parent will lend an emotional roller coaster to the child who cannot deliberate why the parent is off and assume that they are to blame growing shame in self. And shame leads to acting out and or withdrawal. Gershon Kaufman calls this the reestablishing of the interpersonal bridge. This reconnection is crucial to all relationships. Parents are the key to building and maintaining this bridge. Let's look at modern America. We are a more distracted society than ever at most important times for a child to gain emotional regulation. Long gone are the days of relatively focused in-home parenting for many, if not most. Now we have a majority of our population consisting of single parents, working parents, and occupied life parents. Two-parent homes with a dedicated single parent always available to meet the child or children's needs are more rare now. Now, let me say, these are not judgments on any group or style of life or parenting, as many deserve even more praise for the effort that must occur to do the work in these more non-traditional styles. Current statistics note 62.3% of married two-parent homes have two working parents. Work is often brought home, taking away from the parent-child experiences. Single parents have massive responsibilities that can distract from attachment. We also have limited parental work leave at the earliest and most important moments of life. There are many more concerns that I won't belabor. In essence, we as a society are not fostering attachment at a societal level. What about contact? First, let's define contact. As defined by Dewey Freeman, contact is a moment of present, attuned meeting of another at our physical, emotional, energetic, and or spiritual boundaries. The key words here are attuned meeting of two people, We must be attuned to connect. Being distracted does not allow for connection. Eye contact is a critical emotional bridge in infants and young children. To break eye contact repeatedly is to break the bridge or relationship. Usher in smartphones. A whole new monkey wrench in the attachment game. Parents who are on the phone while feeding a baby or purportedly playing with a child are sending a massive message. You are not as important to me as your work, phone, play, etc. I often find parents playing candy crush in the office while I am taking a history and examining a child. Message sent each and every time. My experiences with many parents in the office are unfortunately slanted towards screen distraction. I have to confess that I get really frustrated with myself when I find the phone in my hand during an interaction with one of my own children. We are all at risk here. If Dr. Mate is correct, this is the beginning action that leads to the lack of attachment. This lack of attachment on a repeated or chronic basis leads to an emotional hole in the child that seeks a surrogate to fill the hole. Dewey Freeman has a way of showing this in pictorial form that helps one understand the outcome. The lack of attachment leads downstream to a break in the normal emotional regulation pathway changing course toward addiction, shame, and pain. These addiction paths can come in any form, work, sex, drug, food, and on and on. But they will occur until the person fixes the attachment break and hole in their emotional sense of self. For example, if your parent dealt with severe trauma as a child or adult, they may have been unable to attend to your needs regularly, setting up this attachment cycle breaking in your life unbeknownst to you. Dr. Matei believes that this is the pathway to ADHD or ADD. I distinctly remember a maternal child dyad in my early career where the mother was severely traumatized as a child. She therefore was unable to have her own self-control and management emotionally toward him. She offered zero structure and discipline for him leading to a complete lack of boundary and limit setting for her son. He was beyond believability in his reaction towards her and his surroundings. He was violent, verbally aggressive, boundaryless, leaving the mother and subsequently him exhausted and lost. It was a class example of the broken connection and persistence. He looked like a child with ADHD and behavioral dysfunction. He was lost to our clinic when they moved away, but I would bet a lot of money that he is now addicted to something severely trying to fill that attachment hole of his life. As parents ourselves, we have to maintain a constant focus on providing structure, discipline, and consequences to help a child develop boundaries and limits while not losing the love connection of relationship for a long enough time to provoke shame. Remember that consequences are far from punishments as the latter breaks the connection. The former is to conspire together to repair the problem. For example, a child that breaks a rule could be placed in time out alone and in the emotional cold or could be sat down and handheld while you read together a passage on learning from a mistake. This means that we have to do the work of self-understanding before having children in order to avoid this possibility from becoming a reality. We have to explore our own hurts and reasons that we are emotionally off in order to not bring those wounds to our parenting reality. In a word, we must be present. I define present as fully devoted to the needs of your child in the moment of crisis. Carl Rogers described a way to be present and grounded for a child in this way. Quote, When the other person is hurting, confused, troubled, anxious, and alienated, or terrified, or when he or she is doubtful of self-worth, uncertain as to identity, then understanding is called for. The gentle and sensitive companionship of an empathic stance provides illumination and healing. In such situations, deep understanding is, I believe, the most precious gift one can give to another. End quote. Imagine a world where all learned how to work on our stuff, leading each successive generation to be more and more empathetic and understanding. Wow, what a place that would be. I recognize that this sounds Pollyannish on the base level, but the key here is maintaining contact throughout the learning cycle. The parent must contain self-anger and frustration to help the child. This is extremely difficult with a child who has ADHD tendencies, as they test the electric fence more frequently, leaving a parent to dig deep to maintain focus on the emotional stability of the relationship. Alas, if you don't show up for your child with ADHD, who will and how will it be received? The child needs the love of the primary caregiver, less the friend. Always learning on this journey of life and attaching. That's it for this one. Section 2. Sodium. A metal mineral found abundantly in some foods and the earth as a white salt or metal. It is necessary for maintaining normal blood volumes and pressure. Cells in our body utilize sodium in conjunction with chloride and potassium to set up the electrical chemical gradient across the cell's membrane. This is critical in the function of nerve cells and muscular activity. Our body uses the kidneys to increase sodium concentrations to raise blood levels and volume and reverse as well. Sodium, like potassium, has an extra electron in the outermost atomic ring, making a perfect donor that allows it to give away the electron easily, forming a positive ion that is used by the body readily for reactions. We most commonly derive sodium in the form of sodium chloride or salt, the powdery white substance that is ubiquitous in our kitchens. From a medical perspective, sodium is almost never a dietary deficiency or insufficiency concern because of the change in the American diet over the last 30 years. However, certain diseases of the kidneys, adrenal glands, pituitary gland, can lower sodium levels. Persistent vomiting, diarrhea, excessive sweating, with endurance athletes, can cause low sodium levels. Low sodium levels will show up as the symptoms, fatigue, cramping, nausea, vomiting, fainting, and mental disorientation. Severe sodium depletion will cause seizures, brain swelling, and ultimately death. Drugs that can cause low blood sodium include kidney diuretics, certain antidepressants, and NSAIDs like ibuprofen and naproxen. The truth is, the bigger concern is too much sodium. We consume large quantities of sodium through our processed food appetite. Chips, crackers, soups, fast food, all packed with monstrous punch of sodium. Too much sodium is associated with high blood pressure, osteoporosis, stomach cancer, and kidney stones. If we consume a whole foods, non-processed diet and do not add significant amounts of table salt to our food, we are at very low risk for any of these issues. Aim to avoid processed foods and canned soups as much as you can. Know the symptoms of low sodium if your child has kidney disease, heart disease. Section 3, Magnesium and Diabetes. Let's look at two studies. First, from Kim et al., 2010, in Diabetes Care. Quote, during the 20-year follow-up, 330 incident cases of diabetes were identified. Magnesium intake was inversely associated with incidence of diabetes after adjustment preferred potential confounders. The hazard ratio of diabetes for participants in the highest quintile of magnesium intake was 0.53 compared with those in the lowest quintile. Consistently, magnesium intake was significantly inversely associated with high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, IL-6 fibrinogen, and insulin resistance levels in their blood. And serum magnesium levels were also insul- inversely correlated with uh, high sensitivity CRP, end quote. From Chen et al. in the journal Nature, we see consistently plasma magnesium was inversely correlated with the high sensitivity CRP inflammatory marker in our subsample analysis. Plasma magnesium was independently and inversely associated with prediabetes and type 2 diabetes in Chinese adults. As I was perusing the literature, I stumbled on these two articles. For me, this is a big deal. Magnesium just keeps on showing up as a major player in metabolic health in many different spheres of influence. These studies are important on two fronts. One, magnesium in sufficient volumes in the serum is a surrogate for healthier diet overall. Mechanistically, we know, number two, how many reactions magnesium governs in the metabolic process of the body. Therefore, having sufficient serum levels means that these reactions are moving forward as expected. That is a good thing. For me, the point here remains simple get adequate magnesium through food, and maybe even supplementing if necessary as a healthy, for a healthy approach to avoiding insulin dysfunction, resistance, and or diabetes. Now, knowing this, magnesium is not going to prevent diabetes in those who have a really rough diet. It will help you, but diet is the most important thing that you need to be aware of. Okay, that's it for this week. As always, hug those kids. Have a great day. The information provided in this newsletter audiocast is for educational informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and/or treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional, and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. And absolutely does not constitute their formation of provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.